We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden in partnership with 440 Sports and Broadway Sports Media. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello, here to talk about the Titans' undrafted free agent class. We're going to go through each one of these guys and uh, kind of break them down a little bit, their background, and discuss what is their path to making the Titans roster this season if they have one, realistic chances of that. So we're going to get into all that. Justin, how's it going? A week now and a week plus out from the Titans draft. How you feeling? I'm doing well, man. Uh, always, I think it always makes sense for us to follow up the draft episode with the undrafted free agent episode, right? right. Like It just fits. We've got reports of the Titans signing 13 players uh, in undrafted free agency. I've been able to confirm essentially every single one of them myself. Titans haven't yet announced um, a list of the players that they signed. By the time you listen to this episode, I imagine that will occur. They're likely just waiting for rookie minicamp to officially arrive, which is this week, before they'll they'll put out like a tweet with a story. We've agreed to terms the following undrafted free agents. I've confirmed all 13 of them through through independent sources that I have. Um, Again, thing, you know, there'll be an injury, a failed physical. I guess we'll see once they, you know, they, they just got to Nashville, I think, on Friday, pretty much every single one of them. Uh, so a lot going on, but uh, I've gotten to speak with a couple of them. Uh, I, I've watched some tape. I, I know a lot of them in-depthly. I've spoken to a bunch of them, actually. Nice. And uh, look look out for some stories coming on that front um, over these next uh, few days or a week. We'll see how quickly I can get them done. But uh, <laughs> a lot of good content coming that I want to talk about, but mainly I want to talk about these UDFAs. Nice. Yeah, looking forward to all that. Um, before we start with these UDFAs, can we talk about Will Levis really quickly? Because we can. Seems, it seems to be just like a dominant conversation around Titans fans for obvious reasons. And, um, you know, it seems like what we're hearing nowadays, as much as Titans fans didn't want their team to draft Will Levis, most of them, we have a tweet from uh, earlier on Monday, Scott Barrett, who does a lot of fantasy stuff. He said, I'm just going to read this verbatim. The NFL was a lot higher on Will Levis than draft capital implied. Seems just a little bad luck cost him nearly $25 million. Colts Jim Ursay said they would have taken him if Richardson wasn't there at their pick. They might have still taken him in round two if he fell to their pick. That would have been crazy. That would have been wild. (laughs) Titans Rand Carthon said they probably would have taken him at 11 if Skaronsky wasn't there. Ravens Baltimore probably would have taken him at 22 had they not agreed to a deal with Lamar Jackson earlier in the day, according to Jeremy Fowler at ESPN. And Panthers GM Scott Fitterer was asked, so you thought highly of all three quarterbacks? And he went out of his way to correct the reporter, no, we thought highly of all four quarterbacks. So... I don't know. We talked a lot about Will Levis on the last episode, over 30 minutes worth of discussion on him (laughs) and why we think, you know, he could pan out. You know, it's uh, just as likely he doesn't because that's the NFL draft and the unknown of it all. But I don't know. As I sit here about nine, 10 days removed from the Titans picking him, I feel a lot better and I feel pretty optimistic about his future in Tennessee. So I'm excited you brought this up because I've got a treat for our listeners and I'm so excited to share it with them. Uh, This morning, I was very, very fortunate to uh, within a few hours, and it's going to sound like I'm patting myself on the back, because I was, but I was shocked at how quickly it all came together. Uh, I was able to hop on the phone with Jordan Palmer. 
Um, if you know Jordan Palmer, played a little quarterback in the NFL, he's become a really good quarterbacks coach, right? He trains quarterbacks throughout the pre-draft process. Carson he works Palmer's, with the quarterback summit. Carson Palmer's brother, right? Carson Palmer's brother, that's correct. Uh, he works with quarterback summit, trains a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of pro clients. I wasn't aware of this, and I'm, I'm, he informed me. He actually trained Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson when they were coming out of Clemson. Like they were originally his clients wow. throughout their uh, individual pre-draft processes. I had a really good conversation with Jordan Palmer, and I'll tell you, I, <laughs> I'm not afraid to admit it. I keep—I don't want to say recycling the same article, but years ago, <laughs> several years ago, I guess, when, whenever Josh Allen was coming out, what was that? Like 2017, 2018. Um, you know, I was still kind of just getting my feet wet in this industry. And I wrote an article speaking with the uh, um, Wyoming quarterback coach at the time. And that article just exploded for me. Like it was everywhere. Like I got calls from the Buffalo Bills organization asking me to do like their official radio show. And f- funny story, actually. And I don't mind, you know, bring me back down to earth. They actually ended up canceling on me and they brought the quarterback coach on instead. <laughs> I was like, how shitty was that, right? Like, I literally had a time <laughs> designated to go on their official show, and they canceled on me. And then I saw the I'm like, oh, okay. I see. I was plan B, essentially. You got the actual coach instead of bringing me. But anyway, ever since then, that article did so well for me. I've done a couple of them. And if you're a Titans fan, you may remember I did one with Malik Willis last year, right? I spoke to uh, Sean McAvey, his quarterback coach, who worked with Quincy Avery, everyone over at, at QB Takeover. And that turned out incredible, did really well for me. I think this one's going to do just as well. I had so much fun chopping it up with Jordan Palmer. He's such a brilliant mind. I knew it was so good because he said so many things that to a degree made me do a double take where I'm like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Or, oh, that's a different way of looking at it. He was, it was just, he was so incredible with his time. He gave us so many, so much knowledge and uh, I'm really excited to put it out there. It should be out later this week. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, to reading that piece and hearing more about it from you. And uh, yeah, overall optimistic about Will Levis, but I think we talked enough about him on our last pod and uh, already more here today. So let's move on. Let's get into these UDFA guys here. And uh, before we start, I just want to run through really quickly the position counts that we know here with the 13 guys that they signed, because sometimes you'll see teams load up heavy on a certain position that they may be weaker at trying to find a diamond in the rough. Other times you see them just spread it out across the board. And uh, the Titans seem to have done the latter in this particular UDFA class. They got three wide receivers, two edge players, an offensive tackle, two D linemen, one cornerback, one running back, one linebacker, one safety, and a kicker. And I think we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the kicker because the Titans, as it stands right now, I don't really have a like clear starting kicker on the roster right now. It's a pretty important position, obviously, and the Titans have uh, pretty much neglected it this whole cycle. So we'll get into that. But let's start with one of the wide receivers here. Let's talk about Jacob Copeland from Maryland. This is a guy who played his last season of college football at Maryland, but he actually spent the previous four seasons at Florida, been in college for a long time. What do you know about Jacob Copeland? So I wanted to start with him because when they announced all the UDFA signings, I'll be honest, he was the one I was most familiar with. And there's a reason for that. If you follow the draft and the Titans interest as closely as I do, um, he popped up on my radar weeks before the draft because Tony uh, uh, Pauline from uh, Pro Football Mm. Network actually mentioned that they spent a lot of time with him at Maryland's Pro Day. So once that report came out, I'll go, okay, here's a guy the Titans might be interested in. And lo and behold, it often works out this way. They were interested in him. They added him as a UDFA. 
Last year didn't go as well, I think, as he thought it would. You know, 26 catches for 376 receiving yards in 12 games. I spoke with him. It's not what he had planned, right? And he, he was honest with me. He goes, it's not what I envisioned, right? Because he was at Florida. He actually led them in receiving yards, I think, in 2021 with like nearly double that. It was about 650. Um, but he was he was invited to the Combine. Like, this is a legit, you know, NFL prospect. He ran the 40 in 4.42 seconds. Uh, I was told there were scouts that timed him as quick as 4.37. There was a really good 10-yard split there, 1-5-1. He also had a 10-foot-7 broad. So there was some really good testing um, throughout the pre-draft process for him. He's a speed guy. And the, again, the production wasn't there in 2022. It's not what you wanted it to be. This team needs speed, right? Mike Vrabel talked about that a lot in the offseason. Despite doing so, they didn't really add it, right? Like, they, they didn't, right? Chris Moore is not a speed guy by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Colin Dowell, you know, he, he's got some wheels to him. But again, that, they did that through a seventh-round pick. Right. So we'll see. So the way I look at this receiver room and someone called me out on it on Twitter, but I, I think it was fair to say, and, and I love having that constructive uh, discussion, that back and forth. I said, Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Akine, Kyle Phillips, and Chris Moore are the top four receivers and, and they are assured roster spots as of right now. And a, a, one of our loyal listeners was like, Chris Moore, really like a shorter roster spot. Like, like I get where you're coming from. He had 550 receiving yards last year on the Houston Texans. If he was on the Titans last year with those numbers, he would have finished second by like four yards behind Robert Woods for leading the team in receiving yards, right? Like, yeah, yeah, he probably he's probably a shorter roster spot as of now, right? You figure they're going to carry at least six. You think that frees up two spots? I, I, you know, Copeland's probably ahead of like the Mason Kinsey's and the Reggie Roberson juniors who didn't make the team last year, but return because, you know, they signed either a two-year UDFA deal or a futures contract. I typically give the edge to that fresh addition, but worst case, it's an even battle, right? Like he's not below them. So the rest is up to him. Uh, Racy McMath is uh, in limbo probably, right? Like this is a do or die summer for Racy McMath. Either he's healthy and he makes, he impresses and he makes a team or they're going to cut him. Yeah. And one of those guys are going to take his job. And Jacob Copeland, he doesn't have the size of a race math, but he's got the speed and the vertical ability. So that could be viewed as a, a, a like-for-like position battle. Whereas you put Chris Moore, you lump him in probably more with Kyle Phillips, for example, because they're both slot guys. Although I think both will make the team. Uh, so this is an interesting guy. Of the three receivers they signed, I, I do think he's my, my, my number one. But hmm. that's the fun part. You never know. We'll see. Once training camp, everything rolls around. Could be Kiers Jackson from Georgia, who we'll get into a little bit. But uh, for me, Jacob Copeland was the one that stood out. I mean, he's. You said he doesn't have the size, but that's not to say that he's small. In in one of this, the historically smallest wide receiver classes we've ever seen, he's still measured in at five eleven and and right. one eight, yeah. two hundred and one pounds. I mean, the number of guys over two hundred pounds in this class was very small. And yeah, like you said, a four four two forty yard dash, a really impressive broad jump. Not a great vertical jump, but really impressive broad jump and a pretty decent three cone drill at 7.01 seconds. So just barely missing that sub seven threshold that often marks, you know, really elite change of direction. So, yeah, like you mentioned his stats, he he outproduced um, Justin Shorter, who was drafted late in the draft this year at when they were both at Florida together. So it's not like he's a nobody. And I think he does stand a decent chance to make the roster. When you look at the wide receiver group, you mentioned some of the guys, but um, yeah, I think you mentioned everyone. Yeah. Sorry. I don't want to cut you off. I just remembered. He's also got special teams return ability, which Mm -hmm. adds another layer to this. And the Titans actually told him that they envisioned him getting into the mix at returner. So that's another way that he could make this roster. So if you talk about, yeah, path to the, to actually making the roster when it comes to, you know, back end of the receiver chart, 
those guys got to contribute on special teams. And whether that's as a gunner, which, you know, kind of a lot of guys I think could be the gunner and they don't necessarily have to be receivers. You could get corners, running backs, linebackers to be gunners. But having returnability, I mean, the Titans don't have anyone on the roster that stands out as like a slam dunk. He will be the returner. I mean, they probably have favorites in the clubhouse, but they don't have a guy that is like for sure going to be that. So if he impresses in that area, that could definitely be a path to the roster. And like you said, Reggie Roberson Jr., Mason Kinsey make up the back of the depth chart. Colton Dowell's obviously in the mix as a seventh round pick. Racy McMath, Chris Moore, and then up the up the depth chart we go with Kyle Phillips, Nick Westbury Aquina, and Traylon Burke. So how many receivers are they gonna keep? Five to seven. You know, we've seen them keep four, we've seen them keep seven over the past few years. And the it's gonna be up to these guys to make an impression and again prove they can can contribute on special teams. But it's not impossible. I mean, as we look at the list of UDFAs here you have to think receivers have a better chance just because of the competition against right. them. Exactly. No, I, I'm in full agreement. Let's talk about the next guy on our list here. We are going to move to the kicker, the Texas Tech kicker, Trey Wolf, who has a pretty badass name, Trey Wolf. I mean, come on. That, <laughs> sounds, like an, that sounds like an NFL name right there. He's a guy that was at Texas Tech for a while, um, came out as a senior this season, and last year, he went 21 of 25 on kicks. His longest made uh, field goal was 51 yards. This guy is huge. Have you looked at this guy's measurables? He's 6'4", 210. He's bigger <laughs> than most of the receivers on the Titans roster. That's a thick kicker, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Go, moving from uh, thick Randy to, uh, to big bone <laughs> Trey here. I mean, this guy seems like an athlete as much as he is a kicker. Well, you said at 21 of 25 last year on field goals, 41 of 42 on extra points, which you love to see essentially automatic 42 of 52 overall at Texas tech and 107 of 110 on extra points. He departs Texas tech fifth all time for successful field goals and PATs. You love to see the numbers. I think long distance kicking is probably the question on him. You talked about how he did make a 51 yarder this past year. Numbers were a bit spottier when he got into that range. I mean, like every kicker, it always gets a little spottier, right? The further you go, but I'm glad we decided to bring him up second because everyone, I guess, is so outraged about the wide receiver thing. They're so outraged about Will Levis. Titans fans don't have enough outrage in their body to spread around to have realized but they've got Trey Wolf and Caleb Shudak at kicker right now. Right. Like, this guy's got a chance, right? Like, he's a very good one. Not just like he's got a very, very good chance. You can't tell me he doesn't. Look, they can still go out and add a veteran kicker this summer. It's very possible. Uh, Mason Crosby, I think, is a guy that's available. Obviously, an older guy's got ties to the city of Nashville. Robbie Gold um, is a free agent. I, I, I You know, obviously, a, a bit of a connection there with Rand Carthon, the GM. And San Francisco drafted a kicker, I believe, uh, this uh, in April. So, there are guys that they may be able to add, but as of now, this is Trey Wolf against Caleb Trudak. Remember, they cut Randy Bullock, saved $2 million against Cap by doing so. Like Trudak is essentially a UDFA. These guys are both first-year UDFAs. I know right. Trudak's a second-year UDFA. Spent most of the year hurt last year. Played in one game. He went three for four, right, against the Bengals in like a, a late November loss. By the way, it was a four-point loss. He missed one field goal, Trudak. Did. That, that it could have been crucial. Right. To, and yes, I know how to do math, but, you know, it could have changed that game. Right. Like, certainly yeah. if, he, if he makes that kick. So this is an even like even mo more so than the receivers right now. This is an even footed battle. And uh, I really like Trey Wolf. I can't wait to hear reports of how he looks at rookie minicamp this week, because uh, this this might be. Hey, look, they had great luck last year in uh, with uh, Ryan Stonehouse, right? A UDFA punter. Hopefully they strike gold two years in a row here. 
and uh, and grab themselves a UDFA kicker. I can't wait to see pictures of Caleb Shudak standing next to Trey Wolf because <laughs> Shudak is five seven. Five seven, yeah. If Wolf has nine inches on him, like that oh is going to be looking like Derrick Henry standing next to Deion Lewis photos from back in the day. My lord! <laughs> so that'll be a fun battle to track. And and as we talk about guys with a path to them making the roster and the most likely chances, he's got to be number one on this list just number because. One. Again, position scarcity there, lack of competition, no like entrenched incumbent starter, Randy Bullock gone on the street. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. But I am pretty bullish that he'll, I mean, if he impresses at all, he's got a pretty good path to, to securing a roster spot. Let's talk about the one offensive lineman that they signed in this class, John Ajukwu. He's a tackle. He played six years at Boise State. Um, redshirted as a freshman. He's six foot six, three fifteen, big guy. Uh, do you know much about John Ajuklu? Started all fourteen games this past year at Boise State, right? Two time All Mountain West first team selection, and that was this year and last year. So he's played his best football as he's gotten older. Had some big numbers at the at uh, the combine. So he another combine invite. Uh, 87th percentile 20-yard shuttle, which was mm-hmm. a four-five-two, and a 78th percentile three-cone. You want to talk about big man change in direction? 7.52 seconds, 78th percentile. And some of the other numbers uh, were, were pretty good as well. The vertical was 28 and a half inches. The, the broad was 8-foot-8. Eight, eight. Decent numbers. 10-yard split was really good as well at 1.76. He's a good athlete. And the reason I wanted to talk about him next is similar path, right? Like, they don't have a ton of tackles on this roster, right? Like, Andre Dillard's going to be your left tackle. I'm fairly confident. Nicholas Pizzi-Friere is going to be your right tackle. I wrote an article on Broadway Sports last week that insinuates Peter Skaronsky is their starting left guard. That mm-hmm. came from a source, um, uh, essentially from within the building, uh, that told me they view Skaronsky as a left guard, which I, as what I've been saying the entire time, so I believe that to be true. Uh, after those two starting tackles, Dillard and Pizzi-Friere, it's thin, man, right? You got... Dylan Radens, I'm not factoring in right now. It was a real late season torn ACL for him. Yeah. Probably starts the year on the pup, maybe even, right? Like he might miss the first six weeks of the season. We'll see how it goes. But when I look at, you know, they drafted Jalen Duncan in the sixth round. Not really early enough to, to say that he's definitely going to make the roster and or he's got a leg up on, on the kid from Boise State. Like, I don't even know. Like, even if you count Duncan as their third string tackle, who's the fourth, right? And, and sometimes you keep four. Right. Or you'd like to at least have some versatility. Like, can you, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to carve out this kid's path to the roster. And I think it's a decent one, right? Like Jamarco Jones is still on the team. Well, when they signed him, they essentially said he was a guard. If you remember well back to last year, which I do, uh, may, you know, he's played some tackle in his career. Maybe they think he's versatile enough where they keep him as a fourth, ta- you know, swing tackle slash because he can play interior. Um, I think Andrew Rupsich is still on the roster, but again, going back to the receiver discussion, that's a guy that failed to make the roster last year. Didn't look, you know, very good when he had opportunities to play. I think this guy's got a chance. I really do. And he's a good football player. He should have gotten drafted. Yeah. And he, he, you know, athletically, he compares pretty well to Jalen Duncan. He's got a little bit longer arms, bigger hands. They're about the same height and weight. Uh, he was a, a tenth of a second slower in the 40-yard dash. A bit less explosive in the vertical and broad jumps. But, I mean, he's definitely... Uh, meets the Titans thresholds in terms of looking for athletic linemen. And he has a chance to challenge for a back end roster spot at the very least a developmental practice squad spot where they can work with him for a year to get him up to speed, to potentially be, you know, a reserve tackle that plays in emergencies. So um, yeah. I, uh, before we move on from him quickly, I, I, I was able to break news about him signing with the team 
And then Brandon Thorne, uh, who's, I mean, no one really does O-line work better. Uh, at the conclusion of the draft, he tweeted like four or five guys that should have gotten drafted. And, and this guy was on his list because I you know, couldn't believe he didn't get drafted. So. Wow. Yeah. And for, you know, as offensive line needy as the Titans are and the NFL is in general, that's yeah. where you, you see the path to potentially making this roster. I don't know if it's as high as the two guys we just talked about, but it's up there for sure. Let's talk about the other two UDFA wide receivers, starting with Kiaris Jackson from Georgia. Won a couple of national championships there, um, played in all 15 games each of the last two years. Anything to note about Kiaris Jackson? Uh, in all honesty, I think of the three UDFA receivers, he was probably my least favorite. Uh, production just hasn't been there, right? Like he's been there for a long time. You would have liked to see him take a step forward, command a role. Like this past year, he had a career high 21 catches, right? For 320 receiving yards. So, you know, anytime 21 catches is going to, is, is going to be a career high. Y- you don't love that, right? You, you like to see a guy that's more productive. That wasn't him at Georgia was, you know, surpassed on the depth chart by in, in all honesty and fairness to him, really talented football players, right? It's Georgia. There's always a lot of talented football players. So um, he brings it some a championship pedigree, uh, you know, to the team, of course, back-to-back national champion. But uh, for me, from what I saw on tape, I- I'd have to see a lot more from him in rookie minicamp. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know much about him, so I'll just not even <laughs> comment, honestly. Yeah. Um, we can move on to talk about the third UDFA receiver, Sean Harrison yeah. um, from Oregon State. He's a 6'1 guy, also came out as a senior, was uh, at Florida State his, very, his freshman year and then transferred to Oregon State for the last three years. Um, what about his chances to make the team? So... He's the one I have just slightly below Copeland, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being the best one. Uh, 52 catches this year for 604 receiving yards. So the most productive by far of the three that they, of the three receivers they signed, they had NFL level cornerbacks on that roster, which I really liked him to go up against Alex Austin, who got drafted, I believe by the Buffalo bills and Rayshon Wright, who I believe Mm -hmm. uh, went UDFA, but in all honesty, um, is, is, a, is a good football player. I think that more had to do with some question marks teams had on him um, that wasn't performance-related. Good football player. I think there's just some things he's got to address there. So he went up against NFL-level corners in practice every day. Um, he had good production. I think you read the, the school measurement. They always get that bump up yeah, uh, in height. Right. He's actually 5'11", 188 is what he came in, I think, at the pro day. Some good, t- some decent testing numbers as well. 4-4-1 in the 40-yard dash. Really good 20-yard split of 2.56 and a 10-foot-3 broad. So there were some decent numbers here as well. The short shuttle was disappointing. The three-cone was okay, not great. Um, But he's an interesting football player, man. He really is. And for me, essentially neck and neck with Jacob Copeland. Can't wait to see uh, hear reports out of him in rookie minicamp because everything I said about Copeland's path to the roster, I think is essentially the same for Treshawn Harrison. Really like him coming out of Oregon State. Curious to see how this plays out. Yeah, I think, you know, just positionally, the wide receivers are going to have the best chance to make the team because the Titans are so thin there. And I don't, I wouldn't even, like, feel comfortable ranking them, their chances over the, one over the other. It'll be interesting to see who stands out at rookie minicamp and throughout training camp and everything because there's going to be somebody that turns heads, whether it's somebody that's been on the roster, like uh, Racy McMath, Roberson, someone they drafted right, yeah. like Colton Dowell, or one of these UDFAs. Like, we're going to hear reports that so one, at least one of these guys is, you know, popping and turning heads. It'll be interesting to see who that is, and who, whichever one that is will have a shot to be that last receiver to make the roster. 
Let's talk about some of these defensive linemen the Titans sign here. We got two edge rushers, two interior guys. I'll start with the interior guys. TK McClendon Jr. from Eastern Kentucky and Shackle Brown from Troy. Do you know much about these guys? The, the first thing I'll say before you respond is that the Titans have seemingly found a UDFA interior <laughs> lineman in almost every undrafted free agent class that actually ends up making the roster for like how many years now? It feels like every year there's like one guy that makes the team from the interior UDFA class. Well, you kind of took one of the points right out of my mouth because they've done really well at this position, right? Like Tier Tart was a guy. Naquan Jones was a guy that made the team, I think, two years in a row now. Tier Tart's obviously developed into a starting caliber nose tackle for them. And, and people, there are so many guys I'm going to forget right now, but they've had a lot of luck with rotational D linemen as well. Like think of like, a guy like, uh, was it Kevin Strong that came in and played quality snaps for them at times? Laurel Murchison, I know he was not a UDFA, but gave them some good snaps at times. Remember Kyle Pico, the defensive tackle? Like, yeah. He gave them good snaps. Deshaun Hand gave them good snaps. You can look at the edges, right? Uh, uh, Mario Edwards Jr., Demarcus Walker. Like They've had a lot of luck. And why is this? I'm of the opinion Terrell Williams is the, one of the best D-line coaches in football. I'm really excited about these two guys. Shaquille Brown is the one that captured my attention more, the one out of Troy. Career-high eight tackles for loss this year, career-high four-and-a-half sacks. I've heard really good things about him. Um, you know, again, a guy like Naquan Jones now, who if he hasn't taken another step, these are the guys that are going to be put on notice, right, uh, throughout this summer. A lot of those guys like Kyle Pico, uh, Strong, they're gone, right? They're no longer here. So as they start, Laurel Murchison's gone. As they start looking for these next rotational D linemen, I think one of these guys has a chance. You know, they're both small schoolers. They're very intriguing to me. I'm leaning towards Shaquille Brown right now, but they're both very intrigued. Yeah, and to that point, you know, Tier Tart has not signed his UDFA restricted free agent tender yet. So because he was a UDFA, he's got a different uh, free agency situation. He's a restricted free agent. The Titans tendered him, but he hasn't signed yet. So that's a situation to watch. And if he holds out for too long, one of these guys could come in and steal his spot. I won't say that the Titans are necessarily lacking in terms of their starting caliber players on the defensive line, because we know obviously about Jeffrey Simmons signed the big extension. Danico Autry still there. Harold Landry coming back. Um, Naquan Jones coming back, like you mentioned. Arden Key they signed this year. Rashad Weaver is a bit of a tweener guy who can play inside and outside. So there's definitely competition at the top of this depth chart. But as we said, like it seems like they find a diamond in the rough at this position almost every year. So I would watch these two guys closely just because of that. And the fact that when it comes to positional value, interior defensive line is not that high on the list unless you're a true game wrecker like you don't. Those guys don't go in the first round very often. They don't get drafted all that often. Like if you look at the positions that have the most success from UDFA's, it's usually interior linemen on both sides of the ball: guards, ta- guard centers, and then you know defensive tackles, nose tackles, those types of players. So those that kind of talent will get pushed down the board and become UDFA's. Where if they played another position relative to their peers, they might have a chance to actually get drafted. So I would definitely keep an eye on those two guys. TK McClendon and Shackle Brown. Let's move on to the edge rushers here because there is some, this is a very interesting, there's one at least prospect here that is very interesting. The two guys we're going to talk about are Thomas Rush, Minnesota Edge. First of all, if you're a a pass rusher and your last name is Rush, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. That works. Um, (laughs) And then Caleb Murphy from Ferris State, who actually set the NCAA record for single season sacks last year with 25 and a half insane production from this player who wasn't drafted, but maybe could have been just off those numbers alone. What do you know about these two guys? 
Well, Caleb Murphy, 25 and a half sacks. He also led uh, college football this year, by the way, with 39 tackles for loss. In one season. That's freaking wild. So I thought this was really interesting. So small school, Ferris State, right? It's the GLIAC conference, they call it, right? The G-L-I-A-C. You know who the last, fun fact for you, I hope you don't know it. Uh, You know who the last edge rusher was to have 20 plus sacks in the GLIAC? I think I do because I'm looking at an article about Caleb Murphy on Pro Football Talk right now. But do you want to reveal it since you brought it up? (laughs) Matthew Judon of the New England Patriots, right? So that's super interesting. So I thought he was going to get drafted. Caleb Murphy was the one that I knew really well before the uh, the draft because I actually interviewed him for the draft network a few weeks before the draft. And uh, I thought he was going to get drafted. Combine testing wasn't great. It wasn't there uh, where you wanted it to be. I think that probably hurt. He obviously spent a lot of time in college as well. But I urge everyone, go read my interview with him on the Draft Network. Super intriguing kid. The numbers speak for themselves. Uh, he's got a, He's definitely got a shot just based on how productive he's been. So you know what's the interesting thing about Thomas Rush? They gave him $175,000 guaranteed. That's not something you could ignore or sleep on, right? It's very intriguing. And he's got quite the athletic profile. He ran the 40 in 4.57 seconds. That's a 9.81 relative athletic score on the 40 for, uh, for DNs. Wow. He ran the, the three code in 704. How about that? The 20 yard shuttle in 422. You want to talk about athleticism? 35 and a half inch vertical, 10 foot, three inch broad. He's the best athlete they signed. Doesn't have great size, right? 6'3, 251. It's below average. The hand size, nine, arm length, real short, 31 and a quarter, right? That's the issue. They're getting themselves a bit of a tweener here. Linebacker hmm. slash defensive end, two and a half tackles for loss this past year, one and a half sacks. So it's like, Kind of lined up a little bit of everywhere. Again, he's a tweener. So that's that's the question on him. Where do you line him up? But I'll say this. He's an athlete. They gave him a ton of money, right, as a UDFA. That's intriguing. And they like, remember who they signed out of Minnesota last year? as UDFA? Hmm. Jack Gibbons. Dr. Ah. Gibby, linebacker. So, right. and he made the 53 last year, right? They went that's back right. to the well. Very intriguing kid to me. Yeah, and former teammates. So those are definitely positions to keep an eye on. Again, as we talk about path to making this roster, we just went through the D-line guys, but some of the actual edge rushers, Harold Landry, of course, is going to be your starter, and then probably Arden Key starts across from him, unless they put Danico Autry on the outside, depending on what kind of front they're using. Then you have Rashad Weaver, Sam Okawanu from last year's uh, UDFA class. And uh, Zach McLeod, who I'm not even familiar with Zach McLeod, but he's listed currently on the Titans depth chart. I think chart. you made it up. I think you made it up. <laughs> so, again, is there a path to starting or rotational snaps this season? Probably not. Is there a path to being that fourth or fifth edge that has to play if somebody goes down? I think that that is possible just looking at the the depth of this group. It's not a huge strength. I, I think they're very top-heavy. I think they're going to be a good group on the you know the outside linebackers, the edge rushers, whatever you want to call them. But I don't know that they're super deep, and that's why I think either of these guys has a chance to make the roster. Okay, so let's pause here on the UDFA class and get, get to our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. What's your what do you what are you beefing with these days, Justin? Because you know, as as we you know slog along through the off season, there's less stuff to find beef with. But I do have something if you want me to throw it out there. I've got two, but I, I think one of them is probably the same as you. So why don't you throw it out there? All right. So Ryan Tannehill attended a yes. Nashville SC game last week and uh, was shown, I guess, on the big screen where fans of the Titans who were at the Nashville SC game proceeded to boo the shit out of him. <laughs> 
which I don't get. Like, why? I get it if you're a Titans fan that's frustrated with the quarterback position and you want to, you know the team to have the next Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts level player. But it's not Ryan Tannehill's fault that the Titans gave him zero protection last year, gave him zero weapons to throw to last year and this coming season. He's been one of the better quarterbacks in football statistically since taking over as a starter for the Titans. I feel like we saw Ryan Tannehill come in after Mariota and we were like, oh, this is what real quarterback play is supposed to look like. (laughs) And now we're at a point already where Titans fans are booing him when they see him supporting local Nashville sports teams out in public. Like, what is this, guys? Come on. This is this is I'm beefing hard with anyone who booed Tannehill at last week's game. Me too. I don't know that we've had a better beef of the week sponsored by the pharmacy because it's crazy. I mean, I look, I'm sure you know it was a, a couple of bad apples, a bad bunch. Well, if it was 100, 200 people, it's that's a ridiculous 100, 200 people, right? Like, yeah. It, look, it's fandom, it's sports. Uh, people, you know, I, you know, they spend their money, they feel they're entitled, whatever. Um, it's ridiculous. He, he doesn't deserve it. It's not his fault. Uh, like you said, the protection. They're like, I think back all the time to what happened to Ryan Tannehill. Oh. AJ Brown happened. Corey Davis happened. John New Smith, Jack Conklin, Taylor Lewan. Like losing all these guys and not replacing any of them. Actually, yeah. if you really think about it, is what happened to Ryan Tannehill. So it's BS, man. I I couldn't believe it happened. It's bush league stuff. Look, you see it everywhere. You see it in all sports. But it's really disappointing to see those hundred, two hundred, three hundred, whatever it was, to see those Titans fans booing Ryan Tannehill. That's an appropriate beef of the week. I was gonna beef with the New York Jets for not cutting Corey Davis. <laughs> because I think Titans fans had already envisioned the reunion, certainly. But that's a much better beef of the week sponsored by the pharmacy. If you went to that game and you booed Ryan Tannehill, shame on you. Shame on you. And on the Corey Davis note, in case anyone missed the news, apparently Robert Sala came out and said that Corey Davis will be on their roster this season. So they're going to pay him a pretty penny. Ten and a half million dollars to be the to, wide receiver for. Yeah, to like, we'll see if he even plays much for them. I mean, he's going to have to crack that rotation after some of the guys they signed. Randall Cobb just joined on uh, in the, since the last time we taped. So this is a, a very weird wide receiver room. But if you're a Titans fan, you should be extremely jealous, I think. If Corey Davis was a <laughs> Titans wide receiver four, our outlook on this season would be so different. Oh, wow. He'd have to surpass uh, Chris Moore, right, when he got here and, and whoever else. So we'll see. <laughs> no, but he would instantly be the Titans' most decorated and productive receiver you know, career-wise, oh, yeah. of anyone on the roster. He might even be ahead of Traylon Burks if he was back on the Titans right now. I think, you know, we're all projecting great things for Traylon Burks. we got to see it, and we got to exactly. see it that's, be consistent that's, yeah. over the course of a season where he wasn't able to stay healthy last year. So Yeah, that's not a, that's not crazy of a statement to say Corey Davis might have been the receiver one, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's not as crazy as Mokio will probably try to make it out to be. And here he is on the Jets, you know, fourth guy on their depth chart with a lot of speculation that he's not even going to make the team. And apparently he, the plans are for New York to have him on their roster. So I think that is also an appropriate B for the week. Thanks to the pharmacy, burger parlor and beer garden. Let's return now to our list of UDFAs and we're going to move. Uh, we're going to stay on the defensive side here, move to the defensive back position. They signed one cornerback, so they don't draft any corners. We're, we're sitting here talking, you know, two, three weeks ago, you know, <laughs> it's really likely the Titans might might take a corner early here. They, they're interviewing second round prospects like this could be a thing. The position is very uncertain with lots of guys that can't stay healthy. Well, they go through the draft without taking a single player on the defensive side at all, let alone cornerback, and they only bring in one uh, as a UDFA. It's Stephen Jones Jr. from Appalachian State. Um, Does this guy have a chance to make the roster? Well, the ball production was impressive, right? I'll, I'll say that much. He leaves App State with seven career interceptions. 
right? So the ball production was there. Five of them occurred in 2021, none in 2022. But as you and I both know, ball production is fickle, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a roller coaster. But seven career picks. How about this, though? 34 PBUs. And that production was there this year. He had 15 this past year, career high. So uh, he, he's a little small, about 5'10", 5'9". So probably a nickel-only guy. He'll have to come in and compete for that spot. He also returned a ton of some kicks as well, by the way. So that, that'll mm. help a lot. Uh, 64 career kick returns, I believe, 373 yards, 22 yards per return, not bad. Also returned uh, a few punts as well. So uh, there's some production there as a kick returner and punt returner. So uh, he'll have a chance to stick through special teams. But uh, overall, I think he's got to come in and compete for nickel. And, there, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, competition there. And in fact, I'm going to transition to our next guy. I'm oh, wait, really quick. Switch. I wanted to say something else on him. Yeah, go ahead. Just talk about, you know, a lot of times you see these corners come in. The Titans have had, you know, if you look at the history of the organization, a little bit of relative success with undrafted free agent or really late round, sixth round type cornerbacks. A lot of times you see guys like that who have the ball production, who have the mental traits, but they don't have the physical traits. If you look at a guy like Steven Jones, he scored a 4.51 RAS, not, you know, it's in the bad category. It's not even average. It's what they call poor. Um, 5.9, like you mentioned, he uh, ran the 40 and 4.51, which isn't terrible, but it's not, you know, cornerbacks are usually some of your fastest players on the field. So in that regard, it's not. And at that size. Um, But if you look at a guy like Malcolm Butler, who was also an undrafted free agent, Malcolm Butler's RAS score was 1.3. Another guy who's five foot nine. He ran the 40 in 4.62 and uh, had a great career, you know, not a super long career, but a pretty dang good career. Super Bowl hero, played really good snaps for the Titans. I'm not saying I think Steven Jones is the next Malcolm Butler. I'm just saying... Don't rule them out because UDFA corners who ne- don't necessarily have the athletic profile, sometimes they have the mental makeup uh, that is yeah. needed to to be successful. So, cool. again, with the potential for injury on this Titans depth chart, it's not that I think that there's anyone whose roster spot is in question that Stephen Jones could leap. But if you see a training camp injury to somebody like one of the injury-prone guys, Christian Fulton, you know, pulls his hamstring, Caleb Farley, you know, slips a disc in his back. Uh, Elijah Molden disappears for weeks with really no explanation again. If any of those things happen, this guy has a chance. Yeah, I agree. And, and, uh, and I'm like, uh, people are gonna call me crazy for bringing up this example, but I thought Chris Jackson out of Marshall, right? Seventh round pick a couple of years ago, gave them some, some good quality snaps for a while there before he got hurt. He was not a good athlete coming out of Marshall. His RAS score was really low as well. So they've had some success with those types. And the other DB, I was, I was going to bring him up uh, as a transition there because I think there's some similarities. His name is Tyreek Jones, safety out mm-hmm. of Boise State. But even though he's a, a quote-unquote safety, he actually played the nickel for Boise State this p- past year. So he played the star position, uh, right. as most know it, uh, mainly – Appeared in all 12 games. He had uh, an interception this year, a couple PBUs. But again, playing that star position, uh, it, it's not always as easy to get your hands on the ball, right, as, as, as it is when you're playing a more traditional role. So this is an interesting guy, a lot bigger um, than Stephen Jones Jr. is a lot bigger. So I think he's going to come in and, and probably compete for a spot there as well. But if they do try him, it's safety. And I could actually transition to another guy, but I'll stop myself before I do. Um Look at the depth on this team at safety right now. And it's not talked about. Do you have the depth chart in front of you? Who's behind Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker? So you got Kevin Byard and Imani Hooker are your starters. The two guys behind them, and there are only two guys, are somebody I've never heard of named Mike Brown. And the other guy is Josh Thompson, the former Hook'em Longhorn, who they signed in the middle of the season off the street last year. So 
Yeah, we're talking about a thin depth chart. I think safety might be the thinnest, even worse than receiver, even worse than all the other positions we've talked about, Big, except for kicker. It's the, Kicker's the only one that is thinner. You think of all the guys they had last year, right? Like, look, and they can still resign Josh Kalu, which I think they should, in my opinion. Um, Andrew Adams suffered that horrible injury towards the end of the year. So they're really thin here. And that's why I brought it up because I knew how thin it was. They didn't sign many uh, UDFA safeties. This is one in Tyreek Jones out of Boise State. There's actually a second that no one will probably know about or consider until I tell them, but I'll let you make the next transition here. All right. So the other guy that I was going to transition to, I hope this is who you're talking about. <laughs> it is sure is. Matthew Jackson, the Eastern Kentucky linebacker. That's what he's listed at. So Matthew Jackson, hmm. last two years, 199 tackles, 18 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, 12 PBUs, 12 interceptions. He was really good this past year, right? 87 tackles, seven and a half TFLs. Really interesting guy. So linebacker is what it says, right? Yeah. He's small. He's real small. He attended the Titans local day. So he was there. Guess what? Why did they sign him? He impressed the heck out of them with his workout during that local day. Guess what? He played safety at the local day. Interesting. Too small to play linebacker. Not going to play linebacker. I don't know what the measurables are. 6'1", 215. Or 6'2", yeah. 215. 6'1", like. 209, benched 17, 38.5-inch vertical jump, which is insane. 11-foot uh, broad jump, also very good. 4'5", 140-yard dash, 7.013 cone. Um, his RAS compared to linebackers is 8.09, and that's with a composite size grade of poor. So if you you know switch this and compare it to safeties, I think his size will probably jump up. His athleticism may not be quite as impressive, but still a great athlete for a guy his size. He's a safety. That's what they played him at during the local day. Uh, fun. T- I bet no one else knows this right now. Not a single person probably listening to this podcast knew this about the UD about this UDFA. He entered the draft, I think, as a safety. He worked out as a safety at the local day for them. They were blown away by him. They've kept in touch with him ever since the local day. He was a clear-cut candidate for them as a UDFA. They were in constant contact with him. So uh, he's a very interesting one. So when you talk about safety depth, it's bad. I look at a guy like this. I'm not discrediting Tyreek Jones at a Boise State. He's got uh, you know great size for the safety position. He's obviously played it for a long time, so he's very productive at the position. Oh, by the way, another fun fact about Matthew Jackson, by the way, he's from Nashville. Hmm. Uh, went to high school locally in Hillsboro. So everyone loves a good story. I talked to him about it, asked him why he signed with the Titans. He said, I grew up across the street from the stadium. I used to win. By the way, I felt really old. He said, I goes, who, who, who doesn't remember watching Chris Johnson play growing up? That's what he said to me. So wow. that made me feel real old. Because I used to wake up, hear the boom coming from the stadium on Sundays, literally. So uh, great local story you should be following along with. I have more on him coming real soon. Uh, but it's stay tuned. It's exciting, man. He's not a linebacker. He's a safety. Wow. All right. Good to know. Great info there, Justin. All right. Let's talk about the very last UDFA, 13 of 13. A guy who, I don't know, maybe has the worst chances of actually making the roster but one of the better college players from this grouping is Cincinnati running back Charles McClelland actually teammates with Josh Wiley at Cincinnati he started the final 12 games for the Bearcats last year and led the team in rushing with 849 yards on just 146 carries 5.8 yards per carry scored seven touchdowns including a 76 yarder so not a super you know, not a very good athlete at all, really. He's a very poor, according to RAS, with a 2.36, 5'10 guy who runs a 4'5", 4, 4, but 
the pa- the problem here is not his athleticism. It's not his college production. It's that the Titans have Derrick Henry. They just drafted a running back this year. They drafted a running back last year. They have guys from last season that they liked in Julius Chestnut, who was a UDFA last year, who impressed when he got his chances. I don't know if McClellan will have a chance to crack the roster unless he is super impressive as a special teams ace. But I like, you know, I like his profile as a player. I like Rand Carthon finding a a running back who's not a super highly touted guy. Reminds me a little bit of Elijah Mitchell. So, and obviously the Titans have connections with Cincinnati to know if this guy has the character that they're looking for. Do you have any thoughts on McClelland? Well, I largely agree with you, right? Uh, You said most of what I was going to say, whereas I love the college production, right? Almost a thousand yards this year, uh, total, including the receiving yards, just short of a thousand. Cincinnati, Mike Rabel loves him, some Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, There there are things there you like, right? But I agree that he's probably got the, and I hate saying it, but the worst chance of them all because of Derrick Henry, because of Tajay Spears and uh, Hassan Haskins, who they drafted a year ago, right? The only thing I'll say, and I I love to find the glimmer of hope where there is one is, if he can beat out Julius Chestnut, which might be the, the even battle, Hassan Haskins, in, in all honesty, didn't show a lot last year as a pure runner of the football. That's he true. was outstanding on special teams. But there is a path where, let's say, they don't have to view it as keeping four running backs. Yes, you could uh, you know cut the crap dress and that's what it is. But those last couple, if he's more impressive than Hassan Haskins as a runner of the football or as a pass catcher, even a third down back, those last few roster spots, you can qualify them as special teams guys. And there's mm-hmm. no reason, and they would agree, that you can't view Charles McLennan as a running back and Hassan Haskins as a special teams ace. They've kept four running backs on the 50. Didn't they do it last year with Chestnut? Yeah. They've kept four running backs on the 53 before. They did it last year. Initially. Yeah, last year it was Dontrell Hilliard instead yeah. of Ty J. Spears, but the same group of four. Exactly. So... It's not impossible. He's going to have to come in and press, just like Julius Chestnut did last year. He was good in training camp. He was good in the preseason, Chestnut. So there will be a chance for this guy. It is just, it's a steeper battle, right, because of what the running back, chep, running back depth chart looks like right now. Excuse me. It's a steeper battle, but look no further than last year. Who knew Julius Chestnut coming out of Sacred Heart? Nobody did, right? So, And this kid played at Cincinnati and was productive. So it's a steeper battle than I think most of them. But that's the fun thing about UDFAs, right? Is sometimes they they, they write stories, they write history that you don't expect. So uh, he's going to have to come in and, and impress if he wants to have a shot. Yeah. So I think that covers it. The UDFAs, their chances to make this year's roster and definitely guys that we will keeping a cl- be keeping a close eye on as rookie minicamp begins underway this week. Anything else you want to say? I know you have a lot of stuff in the works, Justin. Why don't you tell the people what you're working on? Well, first and foremost, look for that uh, Will Levis, Jordan Palmer article, a, a very lengthy interview with Jordan Palmer. It came out uh, fantastic. I'm really excited about it. I just put the finishing touches on it now. Might do a bit more editing, but it should be up real soon. And then um, I don't want to say too much of what else I have coming, but uh, I've got a lot. I got a lot of Titan stuff coming. I spoke to a couple UDFAs. I am in the in the process of setting up interviews with other position coaches like Jordan Palmer of the draft class. I might do another one on Will Levis, in all honesty. There's there's a chance I have got some pretty cool stuff coming there in addition to the Palmer stuff. I got stuff coming on Peter Scaranzi. I got something coming on Colton Dowell that I think people are going to love. I got nice. something coming on Tajay Spears that I think people are going to love. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, Titan, post-Titans draft uh, content coming in the next week or two. 
And we are looking forward to all of it. You can find that stuff on broadwaysportsmedia.com, musiccitymiracles.com, also where Justin works, and the Draft Network for a lot of his interviews with these guys before they were even drafted. Go check those out as well. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can follow me at Titans Film Room. Thanks again to the Pharmacy, Burger Parlor, and Beer Garden. And we will be back next week to talk about how Rookie Minicamp went and other Titans storylines as we head into the really slow period of the offseason. But hey, we'll get through it. We will help help you get through it and uh that's it we'll be back next week so until then you guys stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production